Well, good morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at 2 Kings chapter 7, starting in verse 3. So if you want to start navigating there now, um, I was going to recap, you know, what we were going to talk about today and what we've talked about, but Pastor Jeremy kind of did that for us. Uh, so ultimately, we're looking at what does it look like for us as a church and as individual members of the church to be gospel-shaped in our outreach? What does it look like for us to enjoy and extend the grace of God to our community and to those around us. So we've looked at how are we doing, we've looked at who is this Jesus that we proclaim, and then today we're going to look at who are we. Uh, so we're going to be reading from 2 Kings chapter 7. Uh, I am going to read a few verses from the end of chapter 6 first, and then we'll pick it up in chapter 7 verse 3. And then one other note, uh, just depending on what English translation you may be reading, the invading army might be referred to as either Syria or Aram, and it might be the Arameans or the Syrians. Same thing, it's just do we call them what they were called then, or do we call them based on that, what we call that territory today. So afterward, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria as they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and the fourth part of a cob of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. I know the price of eggs is not great right now, but <laughs> this is a little bit beyond that. Okay, picking up in 2 Kings 7 verse 3. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate, and they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let's enter the city, the famine's in the city and we'll die there. And if we sit here, we will die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians, and if they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they arose and fled in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank. And they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city. They told them, we came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no one there to be seen or heard, nothing but the horses tied and the donkeys tied and the tents as they were. Then the gatekeepers called out, and it was told within the king's household. And the king rose in the night and said to his servants, I'll tell you what the Syrians have done. They know we're hungry. Therefore, they've gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the open country. And they're thinking... When the Israelites come out of the city, we'll take them alive and get into the city. And one of his servants said, Well, let some men take five of the remaining horses, seeing that those who are left here will fare like the whole multitude of Israel who are already perished. Let us send and see. So they took two horsemen, and the king sent them after the army of the Syrians, saying, Go and see. 
So they went after them as far as the Jordan River, and behold, all the way was littered with garments and equipment that the Syrians had thrown away in their haste, and the messengers returned and told the king. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. So a seah of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now, before we unpack this, I think it's worth taking just a moment to answer the question, if we're asking who are we, what are we doing looking at a war story that takes place some 800 years before Jesus even shows up? Like, what's the connection between us and them? In fact, if we read any Old Testament passage, it can often be really easy to see, well, this is different, and this is different, and this is different. But what is the same? How does this connect? And there's, there's a whole lot that could be said on that, and teaching the Old Testament is my day job, so I'd love to stand up here and say it. But I'll confine myself to just three points. First, this is God's story, and he's the same God. He has not changed from 800 B.C. to the year 2023. Two, as the people of God, we can trace our spiritual ancestry all the way back through the New Testament, through the Old Testament, back to Genesis 1. Even if we don't necessarily have a biological connection, genealogically, to the inhabitants of Samaria, as the people of God, they are our spiritual ancestors. And third, Scripture tells us that everything that was written in advance Everything from Genesis to Revelation was written for our instruction. So, admittedly, life looks a little bit different for us. We probably will not find ourselves behind walls in a city that is surrounded and slowly being starved out. But wherever we find ourselves on the timeline, God's word still has something to say to us. So, coming back to the passage, we notice right off the bat that the situation is not good. Um, an enemy army has surrounded the Israelite city of Samaria, and though the city itself is pretty strongly fortified, it's on a hill, there's not really a way to kind of sneak up on it, the Syrians are just surrounding it and are just starving it into submission, right? Um, inflation is through the roof, right? I've never tried to eat a donkey's head, I've never tried to eat dove's dung, which could be exactly what it sounds like, or could be like slang for some like little meager, foul-tasting snack. But it's not good, right? People are starving. In fact, there's parts between chapter 6 and 7 that we didn't read, but if we'd had the time to go into that, we would get some pretty horrific graphic descriptions of how bad things were in the city. It's so bad that the king is, in, is just crazy with desperation, and he has actually sent men to execute God's prophet Elisha because he doesn't have anything else to do. He's so angry and frustrated, and at the end of his rope, he's ready to just kill the man of God. The situation seems hopeless. And that's our first point, because their physical situation parallels our spiritual situation apart from God's salvation. We are hopeless before God's salvation arrives. In fact, if we look at chapter 7, the main human characters here are, even, are in an even worse position. It's for lepers. So they're at the entrance of the gate. They are unclean. They are outcast from the rest of the city. They're not allowed to be with the other people of Israel. Not only that, they don't have the protection of the walls, right? They're outside. If the Syrians decided to come up and assault the walls, they're right in the path of attack. In fact, if you look at their conversation... <laughs> 
it's, well, what do we do? If we, they even let us into the city, well, there's no food there, we're going to die. If we hang out here, there's no food here, we're going to die. If we go over to the camp of the Syrians, they'll probably kill us, but maybe they'll spare us, right? You know, you can almost hear them saying, so you're telling me there's a chance, right? They're out of resources. Their best option is literally to go over to the attacking enemy and beg for a little bit of food. And before the entrance of Jesus Christ into our lives, we are just like that, right? Only, unlike the lepers, we don't have to beg for mercy before people, but we get to beg for mercy before an infinite, merciful, almighty God. And so they get up at twilight, so it's, it's getting dark, right? And I don't know if they had a torch. They clearly didn't have a flashlight, but they're kind of creeping their way through the dark, Maybe they're looking for what campfire that they're going to go find first. And you can kind of imagine them, them going through and, and thinking, like, well, how do we do this, right? We want to make sure they don't think we're sneaking up on them because we don't want to get killed by a lookout. But we want to make sure that they see us because they might have food. And unbeknownst to them, at the exact moment that they're creeping, and this would make a great, like, movie scene if you could zoom out, The text tells us at twilight, as the lepers arise to go toward the camp, the entire Syrian army has arisen, same word, to flee because God has already put them into flight. And so you can see on one end of the screen, they're kind of creeping along, like trying to figure out, okay, do you see a lookout? Where do we go? And on the other end of the screen, the army is just fleeing, leaving all the food, leaving all their their wealth, leaving all of their equipment, not even bothering in some cases to untie their animals. And while the lepers think that they are headed to basically certain death, unbeknownst to them, they're headed toward discovery of God's salvation. And so they go from being hopeless before God's salvation to being heirs of God's salvation, right? Because God has already won the battle. And maybe if we think back to the time when we first came to Christ, and if you're like me, that may be before a time when you could really remember, but maybe not. Maybe you have a vivid memory of what that was like. We approach God for the first time, maybe wondering, is salvation even possible? Is there forgiveness for what I've done? Does God care about me? Does God even know that I exist? Now, there's a part of the story that we we left out. When the king had sent soldiers to kill Elisha, Elisha survived, spoiler warning, but in that confrontation, God spoke through Elisha and said, by tomorrow, market prices for food are going to be normal. It provoked kind of a a scoffing response from some of the bystanders, like, that's not possible. God had already promised deliverance. And so as the lepers move towards the camp, they're moving towards the fulfillment of something that God had already accomplished. And God, likewise, has promised to deliver all who run to Jesus Christ through faith. There's a really neat structure to this story, Um, and if we could put the next slide up, we can kind of see that, specifically the story of the lepers. Um, And some of this gets obscured a little bit in English translations, but you notice that their story starts and ends at the gate of the city. It's kind of like bookends. 
And if you go a little bit further in, you get their conversations with each other. You get a little bit further in, you get the lepers arising at twilight and the Syrian army arising at twilight. And right in the middle, and this is the way that ancient writers would emphasize things before they had access to highlighters or Microsoft Word, we get the description of the Lord's destruction of the Aramean army. Because the hero of this story is not actually these four men. The hero of the story is not actually Elisha. The hero is not the king of Israel. The hero of the story is the Lord. And that is the pattern throughout Scripture, Old and New Testaments alike. Right? God wins the battle, and his people then inherit the salvation. Think of the Israelites leaving Egypt with a wealth of plunder, not because they won a great battle, but because God had defeated the gods of Egypt through ten plagues. Think of David and Goliath, right? Remember David single-handedly killing the giant, but the aftermath is that the entire Israelite army that moments before had been cowering in fear got to chase the Philistines and plunder them all the way back to their cities because God won the battle. Uh, we can think of this passage. We can think of the story of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20 where a, a multinational coalition comes against him and he goes out just leading the people, praying and crying out to the Lord, and they come upon an empty camp because God has, just like this story, put those armies to flight. Or maybe we think of the New Testament, where Paul tells us in Colossians that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So God has already put our enemies to flight. And as a result, we become heralds of God's salvation. Heralds of God's salvation. Imagine being on a deserted island with three friends, right? And you're running out of food, you're starving, you're walking along the beach, and then one day you see there's a cruise ship and you get picked up. And at first, you probably are doing what the lepers are doing, right? You're, as they get into the first tent, probably a moment of like, is this really happening? Is all this food really here? Yes. And they're eating and they're drinking and they start thinking, hey, we can store up a nice little nest egg. Like, look at all this wealth that nobody's guarding, right? You might be eating that first meal, enjoying, like, trying to believe, is this really happening? Is this just a dream? And then there may come a moment when you realize, well, wait a minute there's a whole group of people that are still on that island that haven't seen the cruise ship yet, right? And every moment that I stay here enjoying this is a moment that they don't know that there's a cruise ship. They don't know that there's food. They don't know that they too can be rescued. How twisted would it be to just sit here and continue to enjoy it and say, eh, maybe they'll figure it out, maybe not. And so the lepers realize, well, wait a minute. This is not right. This is a day of good news. The Greek word for that is evangelion. It's what we get our word evangelism or evangelical from directly. Literally just means good news, right? And all of a sudden they realize this is not an individual salvation. This is not just our property. This is the common property of all. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Jeremy mentioned the moral obligation, right, to share what has happened to us. That's what they're experiencing here. 
how could we do anything else but share the news of this victory with the people? And so they come back, they call to the gatekeepers. I, I like to imagine that the gatekeepers probably didn't believe them at first. Are you just trying to get into the city? No, 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 we swear. We were at the camp. There's nobody there. All the food is just there. You just have to come out. And like, okay, okay, we'll tell the king. And it's still night, and they wake the king up. He's probably not thrilled about being woken up. And notice that the king is very skeptical. He's like, there, there's no way that this is the case. I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. There is no way that all of that plunder is just sitting there. This is a trap. And in God's providence, an unnamed servant is able to reason with the king and say, well, can we at least go see? What if it is true? And if they send messengers that go see, and they go to the camp, they find it's empty, and they find a line of equipment that's been discarded, marking the path of the flight of the army. And they follow it all the way to the river, and then they get to come back and say, it's true. It's not smoke and mirrors. It's not a trick. It's not a bait and switch. God has really won the battle. Sharing the gospel is not about smoke and mirrors. We don't have to have some bold rhetorical strategy. We don't necessarily have to have an exact five-point outline of how we're going to do that because we're not trying to trick people into believing something. Jesus has really conquered death. Forgiveness is really available, just as the Syrian army had really fled. The messengers didn't have to come back and put an argument together. They just had to come back and say, come, come and see. Come and see, it's true. And so the people come out, and it is true. And the passage ends, and we read that food prices, just as God had predicted, returned to normal because of the plenty that everybody was able to enjoy. So friends, we cannot truly answer the question of who we are apart from understanding what the Lord has done for us. Apart from the work of Christ, we are in an even more hopeless position than these four lepers were at the entrance of a gate surrounded by a human army. But because of God's promise to save all who come to Christ, we are heirs of an even greater salvation than they enjoyed in that moment. A salvation that we did not earn any more than those four men earned. They didn't earn God's destruction of the army. They were just the ones who found it. And like them, we have a day of good news that is not just for us, it's for all who will hear. Because God's mission, God's command, just like what the lepers sensed, is we need to tell that, we need to share that with all. From time to time, I enjoy watching sports highlights, and as an AM football fan, there haven't been quite as many of those recently. But, you know, for whatever team or whatever sport, there's something about not just watching the highlight, but listening to the dramatic call that really makes the moment complete. Um, and I apologize in advance, this, this may not be as fond a memory for all of us as it is for me, but I can remember being in my parents' car back in 1999, listening to, this was the, the bonfire football game between A&M and UT. And the game came down to the wire, and without about a minute left, there was a fumble. And so I'm listening on the radio, and there's a big pile up, and it's really unclear who's got the ball. And it's really like this is going to decide the game. And it felt like it took them five minutes, and it's probably like 15 seconds, right? 
But all of a sudden, I can remember Dave South, the old AM play-by-play guy. It's like, oh, I don't know. I think they got, I don't know who's got. And then all of a sudden, and I won't, I won't match his volume, but Aggie's got the ball. Aggie's got the ball. Aggie's got the ball. And the celebration was on. And when we got to our destination, there were other cars with us that were going to the same place, same family, so same rooting interest. So got out of the car, and hey, did you hear? Yeah, we heard. We were listening. We, can you believe it? We, we very naturally became heralds of good news, right? This is the idea how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news, right? Imagine getting to tell that to somebody who didn't know the outcome of the game. How much greater news have we been given to proclaim, right? Empires rise and fall. The city of Samaria is long gone. You know, sporting results are fleeting and they come and go. But Jesus Christ has conquered death. Redemption and forgiveness of sins is available to all. And we are called to herald that we have gone from being hopeless to inheriting a great salvation. And those around us can too. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you uh, that you are a God who saves. Lord, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you that though we were hopeless, you still cared about us and you still sent Jesus to save us. We thank you, Lord, uh, that you have promised to save all who come to the cross. And we pray, Lord, that you would awaken within us the attitude of the four men who realize this day is a day of good news. How can we keep it to ourselves? And Lord, we pray that through our church, through our families, through our individual members, Lord, that this message would go out, that we would invite the people around us just to come and see. Come and see what Jesus has done. Come and see that death is defeated. Come and see that redemption and forgiveness of sins is available in the name of Christ. And we pray, Lord, that as we do that, as you work through us, that your mission would go forward in Rose Hill as it does in heaven. In Jesus' name.